All right, welcome everyone to the Top of the World podcast with Joshua Hadley, Justin Melanger, the man in the hour, the man with the power to shoot, to be sour, the one spent the men's got Dolan, 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 you still know who's coming in. We got a special guest on the show this week. We got Joe Evans, he's running for Congress, he's from Idaho. And I'm glad to be here on the Top of the World tonight. Today, this morning, wait, oh, oh, I'm still waking up, folks, I'm still waking up. What time of the week is it? It is morning. Thursday. Yes. <laughs> what time of the week is it? Thursday? <laughs> close enough. Close yeah. enough. Yeah. Close. We're living uh, on libertarian yeah. time right now. So, you know, it's all good. You know, it's close <laughs> enough for the girls you date, Joe. Right? <laughs> you know, I swear. Um, we're starting World War Three, and I still got my COVID decorations up. I'm all discombobulated <laughs> still. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're working on it. We're working on it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Joe, um, you're running for uh, Congress. It's- yeah, right yeah, here. it's a federal seat, U.S. federal seat, Congressional District One, uh, representing approximately half the state of Idaho, about uh, okay. seven hundred and fifty thousand people. Hmm. Um, yeah, big dreams, big goals. Joe, I just have to ask first question. I just ask, what the hell is wrong with you? Why do you want to live in Washington D.C. for? Like, you nobody know, I mean- wants to live in Washington D.C. Josh, <laughs> that's the thing. The people who do want to live in Washington D.C. are not good people. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, we know that. But, and, and that's one of the things. So here in the state of Idaho, Idaho is notorious for being one of the most libertarian states in the United States. You know, okay, we, we got a few others. Washington's pretty good. Wyoming's pretty good. Yeah, but the thing is, is when you live in a libertarian state, nobody wants to step up and govern. Okay, well, at least the libertarians don't, because it's like, screw that, man. That's that's too much work. You know, that that's a pay cut. Why would I want to take a pay cut? You know, to tell other people how to live. That's that's not the way we do things here. Just live and let live. And then you do that for about a hundred years. And then next thing you know, the people who are running for office aren't really libertarian anymore. And they're not really interested in the welfare of the people because they have their reasons for being there. And next thing you know, you're running for office because if you don't run for office, some crazy ass authoritarian idiot's going to step in and say, well, my libertarian friends think we should be taking rights away from parents. It's like, wait, no, 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 we don't, man. No, we don't. Uh, slow your roll there, folks. Um, you know, but that's sort of where we're at with things is I've reached the point right now where I'm running defensively. You know? So, uh, so you, you say you reached this point. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? So, uh, you know, what, what, like, where do you come from? Like, uh, are you originally from Idaho or you like some of our Alaskan politicians where they come up here to run? Right. And, uh, and, uh, what, that's actually, that's actually, right? everyone's going to ask that. Yeah. Well, it's a big problem we got with an awful lot of, uh, here in Idaho too. You know, more than half of our legislators, our state legislators actually were born and grew up out of state. They were educated out of state. You know, it's like they graduated poli sci in college, got their bachelor's degree or master's degree in poli sci or whatever other useless degree they got. And they decided I'm going to go into politics and they're looking at things like going, well, I don't want to go into Oregon politics. Let's move to Idaho. (laughs) um no but from a personal perspective my family grew up here uh and i hate doing this as a cloud chasing thing you know when you start going well my family has been here longer than your family and you know 
but uh, four generations uh, here in Idaho, both sides. Uh, both my grandfathers fought in World War II. Well, can't quite say fought. Uh, they were drafted. Uh, they got man. in and did their little uh, stint for World War II. Um, you know, I was actually born in Texas. My dad got a job uh, with IBM shortly after my parents conceived and went down to be a government contractor in San Angelo, Texas. Hmm. Uh, yeah, he, he was a typewriter repairman for IBM working down in uh, Texas at one Goodfellow Air Force Base. And that's when I was born. Yeah, about six months later, uh, they had enough Texas. Came back to Idaho, settled down here. I, I think Justin's also had enough Texas, yeah, too. Yeah, I think six months is enough. <laughs> six months is enough of Texas, regardless <laughs> of how old you are. Yeah, um, yeah but, but it's one of those things. My dad's always sort of been a history buff everywhere he's gone. So it's like uh, San Angelo, Texas. You know, it's the heart of Texas. Well, what's Texas known for? Well, it's definitely not goats. San Angelo, Texas happens to be uh, the goat capital of the United States, you know, goat ropers, goat herders. Uh, so it's like when I was growing up here, my dad referred to, uh, you know, the Cowboys as goat ropers. It's like, mm-hmm. finally explained it to me one day. And it's like down in San Angelo, Texas, you know, you, they weren't raising cattle. They were raising goats. They were herding goats, uh, you know, which is like one of those things. Wait, wait. Yeah, Texas will probably never live that down <laughs> outside of San Angelo anyway. But after about six months, we moved back to Idaho. I grew up here, um, did a lot of odd jobs around the valley, then eventually uh, joined the United States Army. I went, joined during the Cold War, you know, 1995, you know, just after Somalia. I got sold on all the hype on Black Hawk Down. Well, I, I was going to ask, it seems pretty strange. You're such a strong libertarian. <laughs> it, it is pretty strange to me that like you, uh, like in your younger days, you're, you're out here joining the government, being part of the military, you know? The thing is, is an awful lot of us who are more libertarian, stronger libertarian, uh, or anarchist, or however you really want to look at it, you know, it was the growth frame. It was the wanting to believe in things and the total disillusionment with what it represented that we come back out of it and we're looking at things and going, you know what, can we stop with the hype? You know, the hype isn't living up to the dream. The reality isn't there. And what you, what you send us over to do, you know, the way it gets done, the way you've decided to use the United States military to build nations, you know, uh, to extend the empire, to control and influence U.S. corporate policy around the world. You know, it's not fair. It's not a responsible approach to human rights, to the global community. And it's one of those things, you know, 1995 is the Cold War. You know, little things here and there. We hadn't really had an extended war since Vietnam, uh, where we had a lot of young men that were pulled into the draft. Everything was just, you know, we thought we were preserving, you know, freedom in the United States because we really hadn't put people on the ground in any meaningful way uh, since Vietnam. Then along comes 2001 which was funny. I was in Korea at the time, stationed at uh, Camp Humphrey. No, it wasn't Humphreys. Um, 
Yeah, stationed down south with uh, an intelligence center when um, the towers were hit. And I was there with my ex-wife and my two oldest kids. And I can't remember the exact time because the time was all off because I'm like eight hours off of New York time. Uh, And everybody... We're sitting there in the facility, and next thing we know, the planes hit the towers, and we're getting policy and lockdown and ideas. And those of us who are living off post, you know, we get the message, go home, tell your family what happened, you know, make sure everything's safe and secure. And it's like, here I am in the middle of a foreign nation. It's an allied nation. And things and the whole world gets turned upside down. And this was one month before I redeployed back to the United States and I was on my way to Fort Drum, New York. So it's like everything just shifted, everything changed and I'm trying to grasp what's going on. And I'm thinking, you know, this is what I joined for. This was the fight for freedom. This was the fight for U.S. foreign policy. And, you know, uh, and it's like after four deployments, I'm like, yeah, we're not doing this right. Um, Things aren't what we were told they were. And I got out and decided I needed to reimagine myself, you know, got out three years later, I had two bachelor's degree with two minors uh, and was looking into politics. Uh, You know, Bernie Sanders inspired me. Well, he inspired me too. You know, I joined the campaign and worked with it here in Alaska. That's an interesting aspect about libertarians who originally got into politics because of Bernie Sanders. You know, it's like we here was 19 or uh, 2016, Bernie Sanders is running, you know, and it's Bernie Sanders versus Hillary Clinton. And we're trying to figure out the future of America. And we're going, well, we're done with the Republicans. We're done with the Republicans. So who, who's our, and everybody's looking at Bernie and Bernie's doing the speeches and he's saying the right things and he's going, yes, yes, yes. And that's one of the interesting things, you know, in my conversations is I continue on with my development as a libertarian is just understanding how many people, you know, 90% of Americans want the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We want the same thing. We want to be able to make sure our families are taken care of. We want to make sure we have a job. We have a roof over our head. We want to pay for the things we want. We want to be able to pay for our house. You know, nobody really wants the free handout. They just want to be able to participate in an economy that respects them. Absolutely. I, I you know, it, it doesn't matter whether they're tankies, communists, you know, socialists, uh, Democratic Socialists of America, Green Party, you know, your average person in America, 90% of the population, they just want to be able to participate in an economy that respects them and gives them a fair life, you know, a reasonable degree of happiness for the effort they put into their day-to-day work, you know, and as long as they get that, you'll start seeing the differences, you know, like, go away. And what we end up seeing complicating the issue more often than not isn't so much the what it's the how how do we get there absolutely right Hmm. uh and then you start looking well what's the solution and it's like your statists want to go we need more state (laughs) and those of us who are on the libertarian anarchy side going you got more state how do you think more state's going to solve the problem you have with the state you got now oh we'll just change it it doesn't work that way man you know, when you grow up in a libertarian state like Idaho or Alaska, where it's the carpetbaggers that are running the political scene, 
because nobody who's born to the state wants the job. It's not what we want to do. We don't want to tell people how to live. Carpetbaggers show up. They want to tell people how to live because it's advantageous to their sponsors that they write more laws that continue to control the people. And like I mentioned earlier, next thing you know, you got people who are looking, well, we got two choices here, folks. We can either run or we can start shooting. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Are we at the stage where we're going to start shooting yet? I didn't well, think so. <laughs> not quite yet. Not quite yet. You know, but, but that's one of those things that's dangerous. You know, you know, we all got the anarchist friends. Voting doesn't count. Voting doesn't mean anything. Well, until you're shooting, why aren't you voting? You know, I'll, I'll say this really quick. Uh, you know, uh, when it comes to voting, you know, voting is just one thing we could do. It's certainly a tool that we should use. I think, like, unfortunately, most people, like, even during the presidential elections, half the people vote. And, you know, I, you, I'm sure you've done research as a candidate who's running now, you know, on the off years, you know, it, it's uh, turnouts a lot lower. You know, I've done research in the running a local campaign here and with uh, 1,500 voters to win an election, you, you need 300. And right. that will get you over half. I mean, right. And you, and you say to... most Americans agree on things. Like, if I mean, if they're not willing to vote, or pay attention to candidates like you know are we gonna get whatever we want yeah and that's one of the things is is an awful lot of people you know they think government's just going to take care of itself you know about 50 percent of our population you know somewhere around there you know they get their needs met they got a house they're able to raise their families their kids are able to go to school they got enough you know or they did you know it, it's either ago. it's either that or they're so you know, like really poor people don't vote. Like, you know, they just think, you know, with well, this current system, like why even participate or doesn't, right. like, I'm not going to be helped at all. Or they're overwhelmed. We continue to see government show up, you know, executive agencies, more and more control over what the pe the decisions the people can and can't make. You know, and this is one of the things that's interesting about marketing, especially when it's related to politics. Okay. People in the United States don't like choices. They don't. Yeah. You know, they have their patterns. They have their ways of accomplishing things. If they're actually confronted with a choice, you have decision freeze. Yeah. You know, like, okay, two, three, maybe four choices from a marketing perspective. If you have more than four choices, you lose clients as a marketer because then your client has to spend the extra energy to process the other choices. Now, this isn't true for all things because if we take a look at clothing and certain other things, you know, but for the most part, you want to be able to keep your choices down to just a few. Hey, and when you show up at a primary election and there are eight choices, people are going, well, what, what, what? You know, <laughs> yeah. They're, they're going to go for the one that's been pushed the hardest. They're going to go for the one they... He has the name recognition. This is one of those things we saw during Trump. You know, Trump wasn't anything special. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd say really public. quick, like Trump, like you know, as much as as much as he talks, or well, the way he talks, you know, what did he do that was outside, like other than some things, being a standard Republican president? Yeah, um, but of the eighteen, you know, that were up there. He wasn't the best candidate. He wasn't the most well-spoken. He didn't understand, you know, the scope of the issues the way certain other candidates did. But he talked a good game and he had name recognition. And for enough people, that was it. 
Well, of the 16 people on the list, where's the name that I recognize? You know, so it's it's not that Trump won because he was good. It was Trump won because he had a brand. And for anybody who's been following somebody as wealthy as Trump, you know, the brand is managed by his people. And uh, well, just now I'll say something on Trump really quick. Uh, just on name recognition. I remember the first time I heard about Trump running for president was in a Facebook group in 2008. And mm. <laughs> I thought it was so stupid. Like a woman was saying, you know, Trump ought to run. And I, I was just thinking, why, like, why pick a reality TV show star? Like, what is it to him that like makes you decide? To, like, ah, oh, vote for him. And I think uh, Justin, like, uh, he wasn't your grandpa. No, no, but like uh, uh, someone you lived with really liked wrestling. And I think did he vote for Trump or did he just like Trump because he? Like uh, he, he voted for Trump. <laughs> he voted for Trump, but that's just because he voted for Republicans, regardless of what the right. point was. The thing with me that was hilarious about Trump is the fact that he was supposed to be the president on, in Sharknado, <laughs> and like it, it, the idea of Trump being president was so ridiculous that they made it a plot point in Sharknado. <laughs> Which is a, I don't know if you ever seen those films, <clears throat> Joe. They're just the most ridiculous things ever. Yeah, thought, yeah Trump will be president. <laughs> I mean, it is ridiculous. Well, I, I mean, okay. Jaws, you know, they had the same mayor in Jaws 2 that they had in Jaws 1. Like they didn't learn that the mayor yeah. didn't know how to handle <laughs> shark attacks in the first one. You know, they elected him a second time. Um, you know, so here we see Trump as president in Sharknado, you know, which it was a deliberate beast flick. It was a spoof. It was designed to be, you know, every bit is over the top, can't be ridiculous, as snakes on a plane. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you know, like, I, I'll say I'll say this really quick too. I I really feel like Trump a reason a big reason he won is he got he brought in the ratings and the media just kept talking about. I I, I used to be tuned into MSNBC a lot back when I, I I was a liberal. You know, I got I couldn't watch it anymore because they'll just put on a camera put a camera on where Trump's empty podium before he would walk in. Just so that when he walked in, they could get all the ratings <laughs> to when he would tune in. Like you know. I mean, people like Republicans will joke about Trump, Trump derangement syndrome, but I think it, it was a real thing and probably, you know, still kind of is. Oh, yeah, it absolutely is. You know, in the same reason that we still have Hillary derangement syndrome, you know, um, the 2016 race came down to not to who is the best, but who wasn't the worst. And it was all about the brand to the people, you know, whether we were looking at Hillary, whether we were looking at Trump, you know, it was the brand that decided it. And it didn't decide it in a good way. It decided it in, you know, who do I not want to vote for? Do I have, you know, and without realizing that there were two other options at the time, you had Gary Johnson and uh, Jill Stein, you know, both of them were there and available. But at the same time, they were so low key, nobody heard about them. You know, they only had ballot access and like 45, you know, Gary Johnson had like 45 or 50 state ballot access or something. So nobody took him seriously. The duopoly was bombarding us. And it's like, um, guys, we got other options. No, we don't. Uh, so we got to choose the lesser of the two evils, which was tough because, uh, I mean, the Clintons were at the Trump wedding with Melania, you know, it's like, 
it's a big club. You're not yeah. in it, guys. Mm. Uh, they were friends, the Pied Piper candidate, you know, in order to disrupt the Republicans. You know, the whole thing was going on. Prior to 2008, Trump was longtime Democrat, you know, and all of a sudden he's now Republican. No, people don't change colors like that. You know, they leopards don't change their skin. Tigers don't change their stripe. Yeah, let, let, let's go there. Tiger. Uh Tiger King. No. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely love the show, but like <laughs> uh, <laughs> Tiger King. You know, 2020, that everything that that just epitomized the entire era of Trump as president. You know, the Tiger King document documentary and Carol Baskins. You know, it's like what reality what reality are we in, man? What reality? Uh, yeah, but uh, back to where I came into politics and the whole thing was, you know, I went into Bernie and I was looking at the candidates and then I realized that the DNC, the Democrat National Committee, had literally sold out to Hillary. Absolutely. Hillary it's it's the reason, I, you know, that was the reason yeah. I left the party. I was, yeah. uh, I joined the Democratic Party to vote for Bernie in the primary and after all that came out and Hillary couldn't even win anyway, she couldn't beat the worst candidate in history like I, yeah. I i i got back out and went back to the green party and yeah, we did a caucus here in the state of idaho uh for the democratic party that year uh to determine how many uh candidates each or how many uh representatives each of the candidates got for the democrat party in the way that they decided and it was like the caucus wasn't even over and I knew where things were going. And it's like, I left volunteering on the floor of the Idaho Democratic Party caucus and went straight to the Green Party. You know, vote hadn't even been made yet. It's like, okay, I th this isn't working. Yeah, you know, so I started looking and this was 2020. I'd finished my two degrees, been out of the military about two years, three years. I was doing work as a peace activist you know, which was one of those things, you know, Answer Coalition. Um, if anybody's familiar with the Answer Coalition, it's an anti-war, anti-apartheid movement based here in the United States. So, but most of the people, and it's an anagram for something, I can't remember what it is, uh, but it's like you got Veterans for Peace and some other organizations like that, and Answer Coalition, and most of the people who participate in answer uh they actually have two roles they're in the anti-war coalition with answer and most of them are also the party of socialization and liberation which if you actually pay attention to their politics they're marxist leninists they're tankies and, you know so here i am in the middle of idaho an extremely libertarian state working with the green party or trying to work with the green party because it doesn't really exist in the state of idaho and the only people who are showing up to protest Obama are the tankies. Mm. And it's like, I'm, yeah, we need to bring awareness and I'll be out there with you. Can we not wear the marks and the CCP and the, like, why can't no, you just, you're going to do that, aren't you? They, they just got wear their normal clothes. Like, you know, like how, how you, how they'll show up at the store. <laughs> Like if I, if I if I if I went to a protest, I mean, you know, I'm not saying you should always be professional or whatever, but like, you well, know, I, I, yeah, I'd probably want to show up the way I'd show up to work, you know, not that I don't have silly clothes like with 
pro wrestlers on them, but you know, I, I think that uh, at that point, you know, you kind of want to be taken seriously. Well, when you show up at a protest down at the Capitol building and you got your Che Guerrero shirt and you're wearing your Mark's lapel pin and your little red star on your little Mao Zedong cap, you know, so, dude, can you? it's Idaho. It's Idaho. Read the room, guys. Read <laughs> yeah. the room. You know, so it's like you literally have anti-war protesters down there protesting the anti-war protest uh, because of who's yeah. doing the protest. And it's like, yeah, I imagine so. Guys, I get it. I get it. Okay. Uh, but I moved from the Green Party and then I was looking at that and going, you know what? the support just isn't here you know in in idaho i understand why because idaho is an extremely red state you know so the enemy of my enemy is well i'll vote with the democrats because the democrats at least get people to run you know and a lot of people were on that mindset but i was looking at the democrat party and going you know what both of them are just too corrupt i can't honestly stand by one or the other or run as a candidate we need to do something to break this mold we need to do something to break this pattern so that's when i stepped back and was going okay the green party hasn't hit a critical mass where it's sustainable in the state of idaho i'm looking at the libertarian philosophy as an option yeah mises caucus libertarian party looking at the platforms and they're going well they're anti-war that's good um individual choice limited government Personal responsibility, I like all those. Localized government, okay. Doesn't specifically say it allows it, but it doesn't disallow it. Most most uh, Green Party and Libertarians come at things from an anti-federalist perspective. Power to the people, power to the states. You know, as long as you're not violating human rights as a state, it's all good, right? You know, so I was looking <laughs> and starting to do the talk show circuit and meeting people and going, you know what? libertarian's not a bad deal and started digging in into it deeper and again that's one of the problems here in the state of idaho uh for the past 15 years the libertarian branding has had a real difficult time reason why is because everybody who is anti-establishment claims to be a libertarian yeah right? uh, we, we, we want to talk about libertarianism i think uh I think the issue gets confused, and a lot of people call themselves libertarian. Like Ben Shapiro calls himself a libertarian. He any kind right. of libertarian. Like the guy talked about banning pornography. <laughs> for right. Well, yeah, and there are things that go into that. And there's certainly all these certain groups will call it nuances, you know, regarding about culture, uh, society, commitment, other things like that. You know what the role of government should be in, involved in things. But when you look at people like, like Charlie Kirk and Ben Shapiro, and here in the state, in Washington state, you got Matt Shea and a certain number of other individuals, is they're anti-establishment, okay? Anti-establishment doesn't make you anti-authoritarian. It just makes you anti-establishment. You know, you don't get to call yourself a libertarian. Well, okay, you do. Freedom of speech. Oh, yeah. You know, you can call yourself a libertarian all you want because you're against the establishment and you're fighting the establishment, you're fighting the man. But if you're being honest about where you are in that fight, thing is, is you just don't want the rules that the current team has decided are the rules we're going to follow. You don't like those rules. You want to change the rules. And that's still an authoritarian perspective. You know, you still want to make rules. You just want the rules 
to be rules you like rather than the rules that are. And that's where you start running into problems with an awful lot of the anti-establishment people who have identified as libertarian is they burn the brand. It's like, I believe in religious freedom. That is, I believe in my religion, religious freedom to tell you what religion you can choose. Most people who are actually well-versed and let go, slow your roll, man. That's, that's not how this works. You know, if you want to be able to say something, anything, you need to be able to allow me to say something, anything. You know, you can't say, uh, I believe white lives matter. And then when I show up at a protest and say, well, black lives matter, you don't show up with a gun to tell me that I can't say black lives matter. If you're running around saying, well, white lives should matter. No, guys, it doesn't work that way. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion. If you're not actually respecting other people's freedoms, you're still authoritarian you're not libertarian yeah i i know uh you know i think the best definition i heard for uh libertarianism or being a libertarian is wanting the maximum maximization of freedom at the individual level yeah and, and, and that's really what it is you know do i want you to have your freedom of religion yes i want you to be able to worship as you see fit do i want you to be able to say things yes i do not want the government showing up and arresting you for something you say if I'm offended, I want you to be able to offend me. So I know better than to associate with you. <laughs> but that doesn't mean I want a no-knock raid on your door in the middle of the night that's going to take you and your kids away. No. I want you to be able to work and continue to communicate. As long as you're not being violent, say what you need to say. We can have a discussion about it. You know, the second government starts throwing out the policies and, well, you can't say this word. And that's what we got with Facebook and social media and Twitter right now. You know, literally the algorithms out there going, boom, um, sorry, use this combination of words in this sequence. You're banned from society now. It's like, wait, wait, what, 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 what? <laughs> I was uh, suspended several times on Facebook for uh, saying fuck white people. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, well, you should have said what the condom. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fuck white people. Not a condom. No, wait. <laughs> oh, man. hold on. <laughs> so uh, you know, I'll, I'll say, I'll say this, Joe. You know, I don't understand why. Like, you know, I'm, I, I won't say I'm an anarchist. Like, I think there should be government at some level. Like, maybe someone needs to name the street or something or whatever. Like. All right, so we're back. I was, I was, of course, when I we start complaining about the, agri- the algorithms, about big tech, you know, they, they kick us off the meeting. I think they're after us, you guys. So, well, my point was, you know, uh, I'm fine with government at doing things like uh, here. There's, there's no way we'll get mail without it costing a lot of money. So I'm fine with like a post office. Where, I mean, not every place maybe needs a post office but some certainly do what what i really don't understand like one of my biggest gripes or i don't know if this this ain't the biggest gripe but i think it's really funny thing to think about is you know i i I think we'd all agree like no one really has the right to just outright kill people like not it's not me not you joe not justin like we can't go out and kill someone Mm -hmm. but for whatever reason the government has that right like where the hell does that come from? In, that, that's actually an interesting aspect. You know, I, I brought the issue up on Twitter the other day. 
you know, because an awful lot of people like, well, the law leads the culture, the law sets the standard for the culture, you know, and a lot of this has to do with more about, you know, how we are currently writing legislation around reproductive rights here in the United States. You know, and a lot of people are going back to, you know, this idea that, you know, we need the state to legislate, we need the state to control uh, certain aspects of reproductive capacity. You know, a lot of us are going, no, no, not really. You know, and they go, well, if it wasn't for the change in culture and the change in the laws where we made slavery illegal in the United States, and they went, you know, slow down here a moment, guys, because the thing is, Without the laws that codified slavery, slavery wasn't a thing. You know, every society, every culture that had slaves codified the process of taking slaves and whether or not slaves were considered, you know, part of the community or so on. So this was a, no, we didn't write slaves abolishing slavery or we didn't write laws abolishing slavery. We wrote laws repealing slavery. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. So when it comes to, are we really going to go down this road of writing more laws? Are we? Do we really need to? Well, well, maybe we should, but unfortunately, the people that are doing it are bought off. <laughs> and, and, and yeah, but that's it. One of the things that we liked about the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, you know, back in the okay, Declaration of Independence, 1776, July 4th, happy birthday, America, you know, and then May 20th or whenever it was, 1987, or... Yeah, and you're looking at the Declaration of Independence or the U.S. Constitution. Yeah, the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where they decided that the Articles of Confederation were no longer the rules by which the United States government were going to function. We're going to restructure and come up with this whole new idea. And the Federalists in Hamilton were championing, let's go government, you know, which was funny because despite, you know, less than 13 years between the two events, you know, less than half of the people who signed the declaration were involved in the signing of the U.S. Constitution. You know, Benjamin Franklin just happened to be one of them. You know, but we step back and we go, what happened to a simpler government? You know, what happened to the idea of we the people, you know, for the purpose of creating a better union where we gave everybody the freedom to exercise and do what they did and the westward expansion into the wilderness where there weren't laws, where there weren't governments, so that people could create a future on their own. Now, we all know the, that the reasons for the westward expansion weren't good. You know, um, most of it was everybody wanted land. They wanted more land than they could actually handle, more land than they could actually use. Yeah, I'll, I'll say I'll say this uh, when it comes to the revolution. You know, we they well well not we like they they, they <laughs> you know they. remember well, this is two hundred people ago. back in the day. You know, well <laughs> and and the East Coast. You know, they said all right, we're we're gonna kick out the king, and then they. Later on, they decided to make this government where we basically, we basically have a we basically have an elected elected king now. I mean, well, well you know, the, the nice thing is, is it's a controlled exchange, you know, except for a couple assassinations, you know, like Lincoln and Kennedy and, you know, a couple others, you know. Everybody was perfectly happy to allow, you know, the president for a day be president for four to eight years, you know, exceptions like LBJ who got, or FDR who got, you know, a four, 
It's like, you've been president too long, man. You know, you were only supposed to be king for a day. You know, we don't need a king for four years sort of thing uh, or for uh, 12 years, 16 years, you know, time to move on and give somebody else a chance to be king. Um, but it's like you step back and it's like, well, what was George Washington really thinking? You know, when Hamilton came to him and said, Will you be king of the United States. You got to admit, you know, um, George was landed well. He had his plantation. You know, he liked his little spot in Virginia overlooking the Delaware. He had got an army of slaves, you know, even though Betsy Ross herself was an abolitionist. Uh, you know, you look at everything that was going on in the movement. And here you got President, you know, George Washington, war hero, and he just got asked to be king for life or president for life. I was like, what was he really thinking? Now, personally, because Hamilton did this while Thomas Jefferson happened to be away in France, was George was looking at the situation going, you know, if I take this job, Thomas Jefferson's going to come back from France with a guillotine and I'm going to lose my head. Because we all know Tom was not happy to come back and find what Hamilton had done with the Constitution. Yeah, a matter of fact, he was downright livid. It's like, I, I go to France to be ambassador, for, and this is what I come back to? What? <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it's one of those things. We want to harken back to those simpler days, you know, where we were looking at, you know, just let people be themselves. Let them do what they need to do to take care of themselves and their community. You know, are they able to step up and help a neighbor? Are they, you know willing to be good neighbors you know can we just get back to this that simpler life do we need a federal government with a budget of two trillion or seven trillion whatever we're currently up to um you know running up the deficit spending you know deficit spending running up budget the debt uh do we really need that much overhead just to walk down the street on a given day, just to walk to a grocery store, just to walk down to the market. You know, no, we don't. <laughs> so really quick, uh, often this is a video game podcast, so I'm going to make this, well, it, 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 this is, this is for real though. Like, uh, do, I'm going to ask this question. Do we need a government that takes a quarter of our money to give Activision Blizzard a billion dollars or billions of dollars when they make a billion dollars a year on their stupid Call of Duty games? Dude. I mean, oh, no, no, we absolutely need that, Joe. What are you talking about? We absolutely need <laughs> <laughs> Okay. To be fair, to be fair, you know, Call of Duty and some of those first-person shooters, they're hell of a training game. <laughs> you know, the idea that the United States Army and the Department of Navy sat down and said, look, ammo's not cheap. And environmental impact, putting bullets down range, you know. And But more than anything, more than anything, is we need you, Blizzard and Activision, to create a game that teaches people to actually shoot people. Think about it for a moment. Okay, during Vietnam, one of the things that they realized about the combat, about draft, was that all of these young men who were drafted couldn't shoot another human being. They'd pretend, they'd load up the rifle, and they'd go down, they'd point it downrange somewhere and pull the trigger. Okay? You'd have 20 guys shooting at the same target. All 20 of them will miss. And how do all 20 of you miss at, you know, 200, at 300 yards? Well, part of it is, is most human beings, the vast majority of human beings, are not actually wired to shoot or kill 
something that looks like them. You know, we're not. It's like, uh, you know, uh, the Civil War. Yeah, there were an awful lot of casualties during the Civil War. Most of the casualties were for cannon. You know, that big steel ball addressed to whom it may concern. <laughs> you know, because it's not a bullet with your name on it. It's just mm-hmm. a big steel ball. It goes rolling through, you know, lines of men that are standing in line waiting to get mowed down. You know, but even during the Civil War, you know, people who were marksmen, people who were hunters, people who could take down a deer with a 50 caliber musket at 200 yards couldn't hit a human being at 100 feet away because they weren't wired to actually shoot at other people. Now, we talk an awful lot about the violence of video games. Okay? Even with video games, most people just don't decide to go out and kill other people. They don't. Absolutely. You know, yeah. uh, we've proven that, you know, 40 years of first person shooters now, you know, as a general rule, we still don't have a larger, any significant portion of the part of the uh, population that decides I'm going to go out and kill somebody today. We don't because human beings just aren't hardwired to walk around murdering. I know there's people out there that say, you're full of shit, Joe, you're full of shit. I know people who kill people, you know, for cutting their butter wrong. Yeah, it's probably about one in 50 of the people you actually know that'd be willing to do. And there's those exceptions. There are always that one in a hundred who, you know, can do it. Again, statistics in the Civil War, statistics in Vietnam bear that out. You know, one in 20 people are actually capable of shooting a human being when handed a gun and pointed in their general direction and said to pull the trigger. Yeah, you know, unless I was like super pissed at someone, I don't think I could do it. (laughs) You're, you're looking down your barrel and you're going, what Charlie do to me, man? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you know, He's not even looking at me. I, no, th- this doesn't feel... And you got some butter bar who doesn't even have a gun in his hand saying, shoot him. You shoot him. <laughs> you know, like, I'm supposed to tell you to shoot him. You shoot him. I'm not going to shoot him. Uh, well, I'm well, not going to shoot him. <laughs> exactly. I, you know, you, you end up with this thing going back and forth. And it's like, yeah, some people think, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, about only one in 20 people are actually capable of picking up a gun, looking down the barrel and pulling a trigger to kill someone, even if they're mad. Yeah, yeah, yeah well, true. And I, I think that goes to, you know, I think we ought to trust people more, you know, laws governing people's lives like i mean for how long did i think it was in the 90s where the supreme court decided oh you know what uh anal is fine (laughs) i mean how long was that (laughs) i mean it's ridiculous you know uh, but uh unfortunately i think we're keeping justin from obligations he had going i i know you got things to do I, um, I got I got work, so I, I could talk to you for hours, Joey. You know? Oh, we honestly could. We honestly could. You know, but some some of the things that we really need to step back. You know, I I talk an awful lot about anarchy uh, as part of my process, but the thing is, is I am a pragmatic anarchist. I do not believe that we can just you know one day turn off government and everybody's going to be able to function the next day. Yeah, there are things that we need to start whittling away. There are things in government that we do not need government to do for us. There are decisions we can make on a personal level that we do not need government to take our number of options and reduce them down to the very small window of left versus right. You know, 
we are capable of optimizing our own lives. And that's one of those things as a pragmatic anarchist, as a pragmatic uh, libertarian, is I want to make sure everybody understands. I don't want to just walk in on day one and turn off the government. That doesn't serve my purpose. That doesn't serve the people of the United States. But at the same time, there is so much interference that the government has on a day-to-day -day basis that it has no reason for. So, so tell me, uh, tell me, Joe, are you in a are, are you in a libertarian primary or are you going to be in the general election? That's that's God, that's awesome. No, I'm for the first time in like 20 years, Idaho is actually having a libertarian primary, but it's only for the governorship. Yeah, uh, we ended up with two libertarian candidates for governor. Uh, we have uh, John Dion Jr. Uh, he's our right libertarian for governor. And we have Paul Sand, he's our left libertarian for governor, you know, and it's, it's interesting seeing where they decide to split the line, um, you know, and how they relate to their version of libertarianism. But that will be, we will have a libertarian, but no, it won't be me. I, my election won't be till November, which is ironic because this is one of the few federal seats in the state of Idaho, uh, executive seats, where there won't be a primary, not even for the Republicans. Yeah. Republicans don't have a primary for my district this year either. So literally myself, the incumbent and the Democrat will not actually be put on a stage together until after the primaries, which is going to be interesting. You know, day after the primaries and you're watching the fallout from an eight person Republican primary for the governor's seat, you know, and our congressional district incumbent is going to have to come out and say, yeah, probably not the one I would have picked, but I can work with. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so uh, folks, it's real easy. Election day for federal elections in America, first Tuesday of November. So no November 7th, no I believe is the day, uh, the election is first Tuesday. Uh oh, uh, I'm checking this. November eighth. Uh, yes, vote early. Do a ballot. Yeah, yeah. Seventh is Monday. Well, actually, no. November first would be the first. Tuesday. No, but it's the November. first Tuesday of November. Oh wait, no. Yeah, yeah. no. I'm, I'm getting it wrong. <laughs> November first is the first Tuesday of November. This year. We're, we're screwing Joe over by saying yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> The second. It's one of those Tuesdays in November. You know, yeah. it's one of those. For some reason, it's in my head. It's the first Tuesday, but if it's on the eighth, it's not the first Tuesday. So, yeah, uh, yeah. What's wrong? What's, yeah, the guy, I, guys, I, did you know have an don't, election don't. on November second last year? Uh, Why yeah, wouldn't we have it on November first? Why'd they decide? You know, not the first two Monday if it's the first day. I don't know. Guys, no, all right. you do is just go vote early and vote for Joe. <laughs> Thank you, Josh. Thank you, Justin. I appreciate being on top of the world today. Uh, love what it you was guys really are fun doing. Having you here. Yeah, thank you for being here. Um, and I really want to make sure you guys out there have fun. Yeah, that's what it's all about. We want to give you the maximum choice in order to achieve your maximum happiness in your maximum drive. Uh, family, friends, community. As long as you got those three things, you can make anything happen. Follow me on Twitter. Uh, ID Joe for Congress. You can follow and go to my uh, website, IdahoJoeForCongress.org. Still a work in development, uh, but we're, we're getting it built out. And again, thank you for having me here today on Top of the World. Take care. Absolutely. Guys. Thanks for coming on, man. Mm -hmm.
make sure the ball will vote early for Joe. Don't avoid the lines and do a man <laughs> battle or something. As soon as early voting opens up. Yep. Mm. Okay. You guys have a great day. You too.